Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, we're back. Today is Tuesday. There's so many things happening in the studio. We have Judge uh, Richard Weinberg. We have uh, Craig Eaton, a prominent attorney, 10 years GOP chair of Brooklyn. And uh, Rita, I understand you got some breaking news. Breaking news, WABC. And joining us now with some big breaking news is the founder of Just the News, the great investigative journalist, John Solomon. John, you have a big scoop about Al-Qaeda. Fill us in. Yeah, these are two reports that came out that nobody noticed. The first is a report from the United Nations uh, and its analytical support and sanctions monitoring team. It's a small unit that monitors the terrorists around this country. And the truth of the matter is terrorism is thriving under Joe Biden. We we know what's happened with Hamas and Israel. We knew what happened with the Houthis in the Red Sea. Uh, but one of the ones that I think most people thought, well, we dealt with them. They're done with. We got rid of Osama bin Laden was Al-Qaeda, but not so much. Um, according to this U.N. report that came out, Al-Qaeda has reconstituted eight training terrorist camps on Afghan soil under the protection of the Taliban. Now, if, you, if you're saying, isn't this a bad deja vu nightmare? It is. It was those type of training camps that gave wow. rise to the 9-11 attacks that struck is, New York. Is there, any, and John, back. Is, there, is there any terrorist groups that haven't been activated yet? What do we have to look forward to? Yeah, well, what you have to look forward to is a lot of security threats. No, all of the bad terror groups are um, activated and thriving in ways that we haven't seen. Not all of them are capable of striking the United States yet, but they're thriving yeah. in terms of money. They're well, thriving they, because they Iran come, is pushing the pushing the needle. We, we gave our we to took come, the, If they need to come, all they have to do is walk over the border in Mexico. I mean, that's right. And they probably uh, let me have. ask a, a silly question. Uh, yeah. Iran is funding UTs, They're funding uh, uh, the Hamas, and Hezbollah? they're funding the Hezbollah. That's Iran. That's the Iranian foreign yep. legion. I understand. I thought Saudi Arabia was ISIS, uh, and they they hit Iran uh, when Israel was not allowed to hit them by the powers that be in the United States. Uh, and who is founding Al Qaeda? Uh, a lot of Sunni uh, and Shia donors that aren't directly state aligned. Now, one of the Al Qaeda leaders is believed to be given safe harbor in. Iran, according to the U.N. intelligence reports. Uh, but it, it's sort of a, a, a conglomerate of wealthy Sunni Arabs and Shia Arabs that just send money to support this group. And now, you know, they used to be able to get money, but they had no place to do their, their deeds. They had no training. They had no madrasas. Since the Taliban took back the country after Joe Biden's um, uh, uh, bungled withdrawal of U.S. troops, Al-Qaeda got oh. those training camps back. They're, they're now in operation. They have eight training camps, five madrasas. John, uh, are the OPEC nations so rich that they can uh, throw away money on these foreign legions? Yes, that's just, that's the sad part about it. There's so much money that flows through the oil and uh, oil regions of the Middle East, and there are bad actors that have some alignment or just enjoy watching the United States sweat, and so they they fund this. When if you go back to the 9/11 report, the commission report, they showed all of these different places. Some were businessmen, some were uh, television station owners. They just moved money around for whatever reason. But none of this would be successful were it not for the failed Afghan withdrawal and the allowing of the Taliban to retake a country that we routed them from 
two decades ago. And I want to point out another incongruity. This is almost as shocking as the Wait, fact and, that Al-Qaeda and by has... The way, by the way, camps. before you move on, John, you just hit yeah. an interesting point because my answer is who's funding them... We are. We left, didn't That's we leave right. $85 billion worth of equipment? We left Bagram, we which did. was so strategic. I mean, this is incredible. What happened with that but equipment? Is that what's going to these training camps? Some of it is going into the Taliban's hands. Some of it has made it their way onto the black market, which allows the sale of cash back to the Taliban and others. But here's something even more shocking. This is the point that will probably make most people scratch their head tonight. The Taliban, not our friend, currently harboring and giving safe shelter to al-Qaeda, allowing them to reconstitute their camp. They've gotten $2.9 billion of Western foreign aid since uh, the fall of Afghanistan, since Joe Biden pulled our troops out. $2.6 billion of that money, almost all of it, came from the United States taxpayer. Joe Biden is funding the Taliban just like he's allowed oil revenues to flow to Iran. Our worst actors are getting enriched by the Biden administration's policies and then beginning to recreate this terrorist regime that we spent two decades trying to fight. I usually get an email that goes to 168 people. I got one last night, and all my Jewish friends uh, from New York that on that email, uh, yeah. I think are finally realizing this is, is crazy what's going on. And uh, I don't think President Biden is pro-Israel, and, and um, I think they're realizing it. Uh, what say you? Well, listen, he has held the line on some things, but behind the scenes, he's delivering a different message to Prime Minister Netanyahu, to the Israeli military. And so uh, depending who you talk to and on what given day Joe Biden is on any one of four or five sides when it comes to Israel. And I think that's one of the maddening things. But that has been the legacy of the Biden administration. We talk different ways, right? We say we don't want Iran to do uh, terrorism, but then they can have a well, look the other way on all those oil sales. We don't want the Taliban to be in control. But we've given them $2.6 billion. We don't want al-Qaeda to have safe harbor in Afghanistan, but they do because the Taliban is giving them that safe harbor. The Biden administration's rhetoric and its policies and its actions often are highly incongruent. They're highly misaligned, and that's why so many people think the world and the United States is headed in the wrong direction right now. About 70 to 80 percent, depending on the poll, of Americans think are uh, the United States and its policies are headed in the wrong direction. That's not yeah. good for a president seeking reelection. Yeah, and it's not good for America when you reveal this is uh, mind blowing. And boy, this is a blockbuster and should be a wake up call to all Americans about this uh, paying on both ends. It is disgusting. John, thank you. My pleasure. Wow, that was a great interview, Rita. That is astounding. And the fact, John, that billions of dollars, what John just told us here, is coming from we're the supplying. Biden State Department funding these terrorist we're, groups. We're supplying the money to fund the terrorist groups. I mean, you can't make this crap up. After we left the equipment behind, John, got, uh, that's uh, what's shocking, too. Uh, we have uh, uh, Alan, Dershowitz. Alan Dershowitz, one of our best. Absolutely. And he has a great book called War Against the Jews. Uh, very powerful. And boy, is that timed. Uh, Professor Dershowitz, I don't know if you heard the top of this report, uh, but John's got an overall question for you. Is, is, is President Biden, if the, if the Israel is in trouble, is President Biden going to back up Israel? That's a question I wouldn't have asked uh, a few months ago, but I'm asking it now. Does he care more about Michigan or does he care about, you know, the American policy toward Israel and, and toward its allies? Uh, he's running scared of a few voters in Michigan 
um, Dearborn primarily, and some young radical crazies from college uh, who certainly are not going to vote for Trump. And he's allowing them to influence what has been uh, a 75-year policy of support for Israel. I mean, the idea that they're introducing a resolution at the U.N. now, at the Security Council, saying that Israel shouldn't go into Rafah is outrageous. It just means that the United States is encouraging Hamas to win the war. And if Hamas wins the war in Gaza, it's coming to a theater near you. It's going to be against American policies. And I have to tell you, it's making me really think hard about what my vote's going to be like and my support's going to be like in this election. I mean, I had always assumed that uh, Biden, who I've known for 43 years, uh, would remain a strong supporter of Israel. But uh, now I just saw on a television news report that he has assigned Kamala Harris. This is according to a CNN report. He has assigned Kamala Harris to try to get the people who are marching against Israel to vote for him. Well, how do you get the people? These are crazies. These are neo-Nazis. These are Hitler youth. These are people who have no idea what the river and the sea is or the Palestinian issue. They have no idea of history. You think you're going to get them to change their mind? No. If Kamala Harris' job is to get these uh, useful idiots uh, to vote for, for Biden, the only way to do that is to change Biden's policy and make him less pro-Israel. But That's you, what concerns me. But you know what's disgusting, Professor Dershowitz? I was just about to say that he has not condemned these protesters. I mean, think about how maybe things could have been quashed in the streets had he spoken out against it early. He's never condemned them. Who would allow these these Hamas folks out there saying pro-Hamas things? You're the president of the United States. He should have said, I don't want to see this on campuses. I don't want to see this in streets. And he has never done that, Professor Dershowitz. Well, just yesterday, there was a picture of uh, Hamas uh, demonstration in Harvard Square with a swastika on it um, uh, saying APAC has to be destroyed. Um, APAC is the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, but a swastika. And we're hearing all kinds of anti-Semitic statements coming from universities. And it's part of the job of the president as a bully pulpit to condemn it. He doesn't have to say ban it because the First Amendment permits useful idiots to say idiotic things and to defend themselves under the First Amendment. But it also gives us the right to condemn it. And it gives the president, as the bully pulpit holder, the moral obligation to condemn this anti-Semitism. And he's not been strong enough. And I have to tell you, uh, voters who support Israel, whether they be from the Jewish community or from other communities, have to Send a message to President Biden. Uh, you risk our votes uh, if you stop supporting Israel, because support of Israel is in the best interest of the United States. And look, why is Hamas so strong? It's because of Iran. Why are the Houthis firing at American ships? Because of Iran. Why are Hezbollah rockets killing Israelis? Because of Iran. Iran is our greatest enemy. Iran is Nazi Germany of the 2000 and 24 era. And if we don't fight it, uh, we're going to end up the way England was when they refused to fight Nazism in the 1930s. And when Chamberlain said, peace in our time, Uh, we have, we need a Winston Churchill uh, to stand up to these people and to make it clear that Western values, Judeo-Christian values, um, American values, and values of our alliances and our friends in Israel depend on the strong support of the United States. And it better be there, not only at the United Nations, but in sending 
uh, aid to Israel. Remember, every dollar that goes to Israel comes back to the United States. The money is conditioned on the money being spent buying American arms products. So, you know, these aren't grants. These are uh, methods of bookkeeping which permit uh, Israel to buy from America and use the uh, material they bought from America to protect and defend American interests. So, Do, do we have know, the same deal with the Ukraine? I don't know the answer to that. That's worth looking into. I either don't that know or the answer, they, but I know it's either Maybe the Ukraine puts it in bitcoins. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the deal I'm is. I'm just joking Ukraine. about yeah, that, joke, but sometimes you never know about a joke. <laughs> Professor, what you were saying before about Iran being so strong today is it's a direct result of the failures of the Biden administration in the White House, the Department of Justice, the FBI, direct result of their failures. There's no question. And Iran is a criminal under American law, of course, because anybody who gives material aid to a terrorist group, Hamas, is a designated terrorist group. So is Hezbollah. Um, uh, and Iran is giving them material aid. So we're, we're dealing with criminals when we uh, support them and, and, and send resources to them. And, um, you know, that that violates not only the law, it violates all of, all of morality. And so I think Democratic voters have to be putting a lot more pressure to not listen to the squad, not listen to the 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 anti-Israel voters in in Dearborn, Michigan, but to stick by our principles that Harry Truman started as a great Democrat in 1948 uh, when he recognized Israel. Support for Israel has always been bipartisan, and I fear that now it's becoming less bipartisan with the Democrats being less supportive than the Republicans. Oh, and that yeah. would be a, a tragedy. Yeah, and by the way, Rashida Tlaib openly, this is um, yeah. the congresswoman said, stay home in the primary. She was encouraging voters not to vote for Biden because she's so uh, anti yeah. his policies. Judge Weinberg. Alan, what I'm very troubled about is the fact that Biden and Blinken continuously are sending messages to Netanyahu, don't go after Rafah, do what you have to do to stop uh, your attacks. Mm -hmm. This is unacceptable, it's excessive, and they're telling them how to fight a terrorist organization which is dedicated to their destruction, which is an existential threat. What are your thoughts? I agree completely. I think if Israel does not go into Rafah, it will allow Hamas to win. And if Hamas wins, we all we all lose. And look, Israel may decide that in exchange for the release of all the hostages, they won't go into Rafah, but they can't be prevented from going into Rafah. It would be as if, you know, the United Nations told um, England and the United States, no, you can't go into Berlin to defeat the Nazis. Oh, you can't go into Tokyo to defeat the Japanese. Uh, Churchill and Roosevelt call and call for all out war. Total surrender, unequivocally. And that's what Israel has the right to get from from Hamas. And it shouldn't be dictated to, certainly not by the United Nations. That's not surprising. But it is surprising that people in the United States, in the administration, are trying to tell Israel how to wage its war. Look, Israel wages its war more morally than any country in modern history. They have killed fewer civilians, fewer civilians than any country in modern history faced with uh, 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 attacks of this kind and faced with civilians hiding uh, hiding uh, among Hamas people, Hamas people hiding behind them. And, and Israel should not be condemned. It goes to great efforts. You know, this nonsense that Israel commits genocide. If Israel wanted to commit genocide, it could easily destroy all of Hamas in two days. It takes extraordinary efforts. It's lost, 
you know, many, many soldiers of its own soldiers as the result of sending in carefully calculated surgical strikes instead of bombs from the air. Um, So to condemn Israel for genocide is absurd. To condemn it for war crimes is absurd. Israel is doing what it can do. It's doing exactly what the United States would do under similar circumstances and what Great Britain would do under similar circumstances or what Canada would do. And yet some of these countries voted against uh, uh, Israel at the uh, Security Council today and yesterday. Yeah. And will continue to do so. Uh, Maybe we would get a list list of the countries that – uh, voted against it, Rita. We can tell the whole world about it. Yeah, sadly, it'll be a long list, unfortunately. Let me tell you about one such country. So every country, countries get to pick their judges. Uh, the judge, one of the judges sitting on this court comes from Lebanon. <laughs> Who do you think picked him to serve on the court? Right. Hezbollah. Right. This is a Hezbollah judge. The International Court of Justice is not international because it doesn't include Many countries does include Israel on, on and its court generally. Uh, it, it's not a court. It's not a real court because the judges take orders from the governments, and it has nothing to do with justice. It's it's a court of injustice. So nobody should take seriously, and nobody should take seriously the United Nations Security Council vote. Thirteen countries voted thirteen to one with the United States uh, uh, negative, and with Britain abstaining. Thirteen to one to one calling on Israel for a unilateral ceasefire, not the return of the hostages. Right. Just give up, surrender. And, and by the way, Professor, where are, where are the condemnations of Hamas? I mean, that, that it's crickets on that. Uh, Professor Dershowitz, it is stunning. We're, we're so appreciative to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate Thank, you. It. Thank you. And wow. uh, let's take a break. Uh, and then we're going to come back. Uh, We've got Victoria Coates coming she up. Gonna talk about? She is going to talk about uh, intense attacks by these Hootsies that are going is after Is there a British ship about to sink? Uh, it, it may have already sunk by now. These guys are not fooling around. Wow. Let's throw that break. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. And welcome back to Cats and Cosby. We were talking just now, of course, with John Solomon earlier and Professor Dershowitz and John Solomon talking about all these different terrorist groups that are reconstituting, including Al-Qaeda having now eight camps in Afghanistan using some U.S. equipment that Joe Biden left behind. And joining us now to talk about the latest, especially what's happening in the Red Sea, as there are reports that a British ship is either sinking or has sunk, uh, is Deputy National Security Advisor under then-President Trump, Victoria Coates. Victoria, uh, great to have you here. The Hootsies are stepping up their attacks against U.S. and allied ships. Your thoughts about where this is headed, and I don't know if you heard uh, John Solomon's report at the top of our show. He was talking about how eight different camps now, Al-Qaeda, is alive and well, reconstituted, sadly, in Afghanistan, uh, there are a lot of these bad actors around the world now. No, absolutely. I mean, this is uh, basically free day for, for the terrorists, Rita, and good to be with you in these trying times. But, you know, I think in in this case, you're, we can look at the Houthi and what they're up to in the Red Sea. They're being deliberately provocative. They claim they fired on U.S. warships. They probably sank that British container ship, they fired on another ship. So 
whatever the administration has done over the last three weeks, the Biden administration has not restored any sense of deterrent. So it has been purely defensive and ineffective. And that needs to be called out for what it is. And in terms of al-Qaeda, this was entirely predictable that once we abandoned Afghanistan in 2001 to the Taliban, they would invite their old friends, al-Qaeda, back in and they would start training there again. And so you're going to see this. You're going to see uh, ISIS in Iraq and Syria start to play a much more aggressive role that you know, when, if you remember when President Trump came in, one of the first things he did was go over to the Pentagon, go to the tank and say, OK, how do we defeat ISIS? And we had a campaign to do that and it was effective. And instead, you know, these, these guys have been accommodated. And unfortunately, you know, the last point here is they all know we have a wide open southern border. So if they want to come into the United States, it's very, very easy for them right now. Yeah. And what about also with uh, Russia and Ukraine, too? Did you hear this today that John Kirby at the State Department um, or actually at the White House now, I should say, he came out and said that there will be some major sanctions package that they'll announce on Friday after the death of that opposition leader. By the way, they just also took an American ballerina also, who is a dual citizen in Russia. She might now sadly become the new Brittany Griner, if you will, in Russia, which is just heartbreaking to hear. But it's like, where are the reactions from this White House? They're so tepid. And as we heard from, you know, the report that we just wrote with John Solomon, we the State Department's still funding. They're still sending these bad actors. And now some epiphany, maybe we should sanction Russia. Where have they been all this time? Well, this is the whole point. Their sanctions against Russia are ineffective because this Biden administration will not put the truly crushing secondary sanctions on Russian energy exports that would grind that economy to a halt. If you want to end the the, uh, Ukraine war in 24 hours, you do that. And you tell China, if you buy Russian energy, you are going to be subject to U.S. sanctions. That's the game changer here. We haven't done it. And they won't do it because the Biden administration wants those barrels, those molecules on the market so that they don't have to produce more uh, energy here at home to keep prices down. So, So that's any action they take for Navalny's death will be, at best, symbolic. And the other thing that was reported today, Rita, was that the Biden administration hadn't gone public with the Russian scheme to put nuclear weapons in space, which is bad for a whole bunch of other reasons we can discuss. They didn't go public because they, they had a diplomatic initiative to go through China to get the Russians not to do it. I think this is just ridiculous. This is like a charm offensive. You're not going to get Vladimir Putin to relinquish a you know, military capability because you, you say nice things to the communist Chinese. So as you say, it's, it's, it's delusional. They, they have no policy. Uh, and, you know, the American people, certainly if the Russians are planning on actually fielding this capability, are much less safe for it. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking to uh, former Deputy National Security Advisor, Victoria Coates, Judge Weinberg. Victoria, welcome back. Good to talk to you again. My my concern is this. As I watch this and I try to be objective, it seems to me the world is unraveling on a lot of fronts. The common denominator is, is weakness in leadership from the Biden administration, a policy of appeasement. The world is becoming more and more dangerous. Aren't there any grown-ups in the White House or in the State Department or the Defense Department or in the security agencies that are trying to 
tell this administration that appeasement fails, it only encourages more aggression and a more dangerous world? Well, I mean, Judge, I wish I had a better answer for you. I know there are elements within particularly our career military who have been trying to sound the alarm, who have been trying to push back, present other options. But the the problem is that for most of national security policy, you know, the commander in chief is the authority. And we have a commander in chief who voluntarily or involuntarily is pretty much abdicating that authority. He's he's not exercising it. He's not communicating with the American people. He's not you know, laying out any kind of coherent strategy uh, or or plan from anything from Ukraine to China to the Middle East. And while that you have that rot at the top, it's it's hard for anybody else to to play a significant role. You know, uh, Victoria, it just came out. We were talking with Solomon, John Solomon, where he said Mm -hmm. it's two point six billion dollars from the State Department, essentially from U.S. different agencies are going towards these Al Qaeda camps and also going towards Taliban, specifically the Taliban government knowingly. How could that be? I mean, how could they be doing that to the Taliban at this time with so many things going on in the world? And the Taliban is not our friend, as you know. They call it humanitarian assistance, and they're trying to do it on a historic scale on the most recent supplemental request the president sent up to the Congress, in which there are $9 billion for humanitarian assistance. And for those of us who have delved into this, what we have discovered is that's $9 billion for the Palestinians, for Hamas, for Pidge, for you know all of the uh, alphabet soup of, of terrorists who are active in the Palestinian space. Same thing with the Taliban. You know, the suffering people of Afghanistan, of course, America would love to help, you know, Afghan girls have education. You know, of course. But at this point, the practical reality is if you give that money to the Taliban, they're going to use it for the Taliban. And they have no interest in education for women and girls. So it'd be quite the opposite. So I think, you know, they just have this mindset that if they provide this assistance, people will love us despite you know, basically a hundred years of failure. Uh, Victoria, one last question, uh, and it's a sensitive question. I, I believe I heard uh, that at certain period of time, the CIA hired British intelligence to uh, investigate you. <laughs> this is a very interesting question, Judge. I so my name is on a list of about two dozen folks. About who may twenty-eight or may not, names. Yeah. Uh, may or may not have been surveilled via our what we call our Five Eyes partners. That's Canada, the Brits, Australia, New Zealand, our closest intelligence partnership, that the Obama administration encouraged them to interact with us so that the Obama administration could capture those conversations and reveal our identities and, in their minds, reveal our anti-American activities. So yes, apparently this this is this is going around out there. We at Heritage, me regardless of whether or not I am am really involved, and I have no proof one way or the other. We as Heritage want to expose this for the American people because if this is true, if foreign intelligence or uh, apparatus were being used to surveil American citizens because by law the American government couldn't 
and they were capturing those conversations. I'd like to know who issued that order. It's shocking. Well, the document I have seen, and I, I, I can't speak to it. It is, an, un, it is a classified document that is on, uh, that is online. Uh, but it's the National Security Council, so it's the White House under Obama that was doing this. Wow! Thank you, thank you so much, and uh, may God help us, and may God protect the United States of America the way we know it. And you too, Victoria. Amen. And you too. Yeah, Amen. you stay safe. Thank you, Victoria. Always fighting the good now, fight. Now, I understand before we go to break, I think you have some hot news. It's the top news of the day, sponsored by Goya. Here's Rita Cosby. That's right, John. Well, Nikki Haley says that she is staying in the race for president. She held a campaign rally today in her home state of South Carolina. Haley says she's going to stay in the race for the Republican nomination no matter the outcome of Saturday's South Carolina primary. Polls have shown consistently that the former U.N. ambassador is trailing Donald Trump by a large margin. We're going to talk about this and a lot more with Doug Schoen after the break. Also, President Biden's brother Jim is going to take questions from lawmakers as part of the impeachment inquiry into the president. James Biden is scheduled to sit down for a deposition with members of the Republican-led House Oversight Committee tomorrow. And the inquiry centers on allegations that the Biden family sold their influence and access for cash. Meantime, California is getting pounded by heavy rainfall right now. Flood watches are up across the state from San Diego all the way up to Redding. Santa Barbara and Ventura counties have recorded 8 to 11 inches of rain in just the past three days. And, John, those are your hot, 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 great, great, great Goya top stories well, of the day. I told my uh, uh, maid the other day, make sure you buy some Goya olive oil. Because knowing the Goya company, that is 100% olive oil, not the 70% frauds that are going on. That's what you told me the other day, that that's an important thing that people, did you know that, Craig? There's a lot of these sort of like imposter olive oils out there pretending it's olive. It's not. Some of it is made I know by, a lot about that because a friend of mine is the executive director of the uh, North American Olive Oil Association. Oh, okay. Is, oh, it, wow. is it made by Michael Corleone? No, no, no. <laughs> Joe Profacci, a friend of mine from high school, one of my closest friends, who his father actually brought Colavita to America. Um, he's is that hundred percent guaranteed? Yes, yes. And it so is, is Goya. But but there are there are a lot of there are a lot of these olive oils. Mazzola, for example, a lot of them they pure and you know they put pure on their on their advertisements. And, and a lot of we got to take not. a break. It's, Let's take yeah, that break. Good to know. Some of it's not. Some of it's not. Uh, what do we have? We, we have, have Doug Show. Doug Show. And he's going to tell us about what the heck is going on with the polls. You're commuting home. Cats and Cosby. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby. Well, Nikki Haley says she's not going anywhere, uh, but let's see what happens. The big South Carolina primary just a few days away. And joining us now is the great political analyst and pollster, great strategist for so many presidents and others, Doug Schoen. Doug, um, first of all, were you surprised that Nikki Haley said she's staying? A lot of people thought she might be dropping out today when she said she had a big announcement. You know, I think she has all but telegraphed she's going to stay in through South Carolina. The polls there have the race 20, 20 
plus points. I think she thinks there's an outside chance she could do better than uh, expected. But if she loses by more than 20 points there, given the polls on Super Tuesday, I'm hard-pressed to think she can stay in credibly. You know, I'm wondering, Doug, and I was watching her today, and the polls are showing, I just saw a poll, uh, one that where it's 31% Trump uh, over Haley. I think she, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, you never know, right? And, you know, four days, let's see. But... A lot of people are wondering, is she sticking around? Today, she really was throwing some jabs at Trump, also saying, look, people don't want this. They don't want that. They don't want Biden. They don't want this. Do you think she's hoping to, like, what, something happens? Maybe, you know, Alvin Bragg's case is coming up. Uh, there's a lot of these other cases. Alvin Bragg's is a criminal. I mean, it's over the uh, business documents. But, my gosh, who knows where this is going, that maybe something happens. And she's the last person standing. Rita, that's the only logical explanation for why she would stay in now and indeed uh, through Super Tuesday. I think she is trying to be the credible alternative if something happens to Trump, if he makes some sort of a deal, whatever. I think it's highly unlikely, but you never say never in politics. Doug, can anything happen to Trump? I I think it is more likely that something will happen to Trump in the legal system than the political system. That is, um, I believe Trump will be, as I think we all do, the nominee. I think he's a few points ahead. He has his negatives. He has his positives. But candidly, with all the cases and all the issues and now having to post a $400 million-plus bond, Who knows what could happen given the vagaries of our system? Doug, my opinion as a businessman, it's going to be very hard to post a $400 million bond. Uh, There's no insurance company or no um, bank that I think will write that, but I could be wrong, but it's a lot because it's a lot of money in this current environment. Uh, And uh, I I would agree. And given that uh, the assets that he would have to play, pledge would be real estate assets it's hard pressed to if i was the insurance company i would ask for 800 million in in assets yes, for the 400 wow because you have to cover you have to cover the interest now in addition to what's happened in the court uh with uh, president trump i understand there was a story yesterday that uh, alvin bragg is going to go after criminally so they're going to uh, destroy him uh, by uh, uh, financially, and now they want to destroy him criminally. I mean, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, I just, I, I, you know, I, it's hard for me to stomach it. Yeah, it feels enough, un-American. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Everyone else has gone after him. I, I, you know, look, I tend to believe it. I don't believe there's any person in their right mind who, given all this, is going to open a business in New York City or state now. At least I... I've had one for a long time, and I'm very happy to be relocated to Florida. Yeah, you know, uh, Kevin O'Leary, uh, the guy on Shark Tank, John was saying, it's un-American was the phrase he used. And he's like, why would I ever do business in New York? And, and I think a lot of people are shaking their heads and, and going, well, there, there's two types of people. There are tough businessmen that say, no, and then there are soft, tiptoey businessmen that will run away tomorrow morning. I know who you are. 
You're the first one. <laughs> You're a tough one. I know. That's I love why we New love York. you. I don't want to leave. That's why we love you. But I know who you are. Doug, <laughs> what say you? Uh, what what I say is I guess I'm the tiptoeing getaway type. But <laughs> it is, I did business in New York for 40 years. I dealt with city government, state government. And you know what? If you can avoid it, who needs the thesaurus? A hundred percent correct. And I think uh, uh, 70, 80 percent of the people are going to feel like that. Yeah. Absolutely. By the way, uh, speaking of feeling, I, I got it before we let you go, Doug, on um, the Biden front. Have you seen this? The media is really kind of no going after Biden and all the cognitive stuff in a big way. And in fact, the publisher of the New York Times just came out with a statement a few minutes ago and he came out and said, you know what? We're not going to back away from criticizing Biden after what we saw in the her report and all these other comments. We're seeing certain things. We're going to do it. Has the media sort of flipped the script now on the Biden White House? I think he thought. You know, he had them in their pocket. I, I think to a certain extent, the her report gave them license to do it. But you know what? And I think John would agree with me. The amount of uh, stuff that's been thrown at Trump versus the amount of stuff that's been thrown at Biden is still heavily weighted in uh, uh, Joe Biden's direction, positive and Donald Trump's negative. I don't think any you fair-minded know, person would disagree. I, I would separate it in two ways. Uh, sure. tr- Trump may have may have done something stupid, but uh, President Biden might have crossed the line. Well, I, I would say this: there is, I think, very few fair-minded people who would say Joe Biden is not in some way impaired. Yes, and that is a. Maybe trying to protect his son. Many fathers protect their sons. And the question is, did he go too far? uh, By the way, tomorrow tomorrow the brother's testifying. Exactly. Protecting himself, his son, and his brother. And Hunter's next week, guys. Hunter's next week. That's going to be interesting. I'm available. Call me back. Love to come back. Thank Thank you you very much. Thank you, Doug. Thanks so much, Doug. And, And, John, you recently... Uh, did an interview that's going to air this Sunday. I, uh, yeah, the first lady of Virginia, uh, Suzanne Youngkin, uh, is so concerned about drugs on our kids that, uh, she called me and wanted to do a, um, uh, a, a segment for our Sunday show, the Cats Roundtable. And, uh, I caught, I tell her, do two minutes for tonight. So she did, I think, two minutes for tonight. This is uh, Suzanne Youngkin, the uh, first lady of Virginia, Glenn, uh, Governor Youngkin's wife, and her concern about drugs and fentanyl on the kids. Let's hear it. With us today is the first lady of the Commonwealth of Virginia, Suzanne S. Youngkin. And uh, uh, she is has very many uh, concerns. The one, one big concern is the fact of uh, drugs and fentanyl. Uh, Su- Suzanne uh, uh, Youngkin, tell us, uh, why are you focusing specifically on fentanyl? Well, good morning, John, and thank you so much for welcoming me. I am just absolutely thrilled that you are prioritizing conversations on fentanyl. Here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, we have just uh, unveiled a campaign called It Only Takes One, 
The idea being it takes one mistake, one counterfeit pill that can cost a person their life. And listening to Virginians, I am hearing over and over stories of devastation among young people and families who have inadvertently taken a poisonous pill. Every day this year in Virginia, an average of five persons will die from fentanyl poisoning. We lost 1,500 Virginians just last year from fentanyl uh, overdoses. 200 of those, John, were teens and college-age kids. As the mother of four, I will not stand idly by and let this continue to ravish our communities. Wow, what a great conversation. And, John, you rarely hear from Suzanne Young, and I can't think of when I've heard from no, her. But so she has reached a level where she thinks she has to speak out on uh, in Virginia and on a national basis because – she uh, she is disgusted in young kids losing their their uh, lives. Uh, well, she's going to go do a full interview for this uh, Sunday for the Catch Roundtable. Fantastic! I can't wait to tune in, and it's such an important topic about fentanyl and our borders. The levels, Frank. the levels of fentanyl that are coming in through our borders with you know with all of these people is disgraceful. I mean, it's killing our kids here. Something needs to be done. And the government has blinders on. They're doing nothing about it. You know why? Because then it brings the attention to the open border. And they don't want that. It's the cartels are bringing the drugs in and they're selling them. Uh, I mean, something needs to be done. Yeah, they're killing 100,000 Americans every year. And I Uh I applaud her for speaking out. Bravo on this. Yeah. Um, You guys, when we come back here on Cats and Cosby, we're going to be talking with Andy McCarthy to get his take on Trump, Fannie Willis, and a whole bunch more. Stay tuned. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby. Everybody talking about this over-the-top decision against President Trump in the civil case. And, John, you you hit it on the head earlier where you were like, they're going after him civilly uh, with a civil death penalty business-wise. And now Bragg is trying to tee up, of course, his case on the hush money case with a criminal death penalty, if you will. And joining us now is Andy McCarthy, uh, the assistant, a former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. And Andy, how how could anybody, I mean, it's it's such an exorbitant amount of money. Explain how this works, because uh, Trump would have, what, 30 days to post it? Yeah, and it's more complicated than that, Rita, because remember the second E. Jean Carroll case, the jury, the jury came in on January 26th. So he's up against his 30 day deadline federally to appeal on that one. And he'd have to post the money plus interest. Yeah, that's 83, right? 83 million. And he had the five from the first one. In the end, because he's got to post it with, uh, with interest. He doesn't have to have like liquid assets, but he's got to, you know, if he gets a bond, he's going to have to put up some money for the bond and then he's going to have to secure it with property. So his money is going to, his money and property are going to be tied up. And I think one of the things that we haven't paid enough attention to, you know, you're talking about 83.3 million there, the original 5 million from last year, this uh, ridiculous 355 million. Um, you know, this guy is a business guy. He's got like, you know, 
going real estate business where he's got, you know, big number payments on loans that are coming due even this year, um, it's going to make it very hard. Even if you ignore the other restrictions that Engeron imposed in connection with this verdict, just the sheer dollar figure is going to make it very difficult for him to do business. Yeah, it's incredible. Judge Weinberg. Andy, as I, uh, as I read the decision, as I've read your articles, your analysis, what I have to tell you is, as a former Supreme Court justice in, in Manhattan, I am totally outraged by this because I believe that statute is unconstitutional. I think it was a political prosecution. There was no injury. There was no damages. No damages posted and the restrictions on him doing business are draconian. And now, because of the requirements of New York State law, you're chilling his ability to appeal. Isn't this the most outrageous thing you've ever heard? Well, it's the second most outrageous thing. You know, we haven't talked about Alvin Bragg's criminal case. Well, that's kind of, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, Andy. But talk about this one. On this, is in terms of a civil case on a bad statute, which is clearly unconstitutional because there's no injury on a fraud case, and everybody was made whole, and they said they'd do business with him again. How does my former colleague in the Supreme Court, Ungorn, how does he have the audacity to do this, which is a death sentence, as you've pointed out? Yeah, well, I think what happened here is they took a statute, which, as I understand it, is really meant for, like, consumer fraud situations where, you know, you would have somebody who was persistently defrauding customers, but nobody is involved in any one transaction that would be worth suing over, that that sort of thing, almost like a, a, a class action type analog. And it doesn't apply in, to two things which go to your points, Judge, I think. One is it doesn't apply to a situation where you have sophisticated financial actors on both sides um, who are going to do their due diligence. You know, uh, Deutsche Bank is not going to take Donald Trump's word for it about what his assets are worth. They're going to do their own uh, study. The other thing is the penalties here, as you point out, are so draconian to impose them under circumstances where it's a fraud case, but you don't have to prove fraudulent intent. You don't have to prove a victim. You don't get a jury trial. Uh, with that kind of substantive and due process, uh, uh, I think, defects in this statute, at least in this context, I think he's at least got a shot on appeal with respect to that count. The bigger problem he has, of course, is there's six other I, – I call them counts because I'm the criminal law guy, right? But you know, causes of action. Andrew, this is very, very nice, but it's typical BS. On page one, uh, the big headline: Trump is X Y Z. Then, when they when they want to forgive him, on page thirty nine in small print, oh, (laughs) Trump is not guilty. John, uh, John, I'm I'm, uh, I've caught my breath again because I thought you brought me on for typical BS. I'm glad you're talking about Engeron, but you know, look, I, I I think you're you're right. You're dealing with a judge here. Not just a judge, but a system that was really unabashed in its um, vindictiveness and and partisan, uh, really a, a vendetta against Trump. Uh, the attorney general uh, said she was going to bring this case before she even knew what a case was to bring. It's it's very Soviet to say, you know, elect me to office and I'll use the power of the office against this guy who's our political enemy. And this is why I just think that. 
this transcends Trump. I don't know. Uh, you, John, you know this better than I do because you're a, a big, big business guy in New York. I don't know who the hell would do business in New York if these are the circumstances. Well, we talked about it with Alan Dershowitz before, and we talked about it with a few other people. And it, it's a lot of people are scared. They say, why do we need this? What did the Jewish guy say? Why do we need this source? Yeah. But you know, the, Andy, this is a big problem. Is it's precedent now? If this if this case stands on appeal, it's precedent, and it's clearly political persecution and prosecution. And it's like a Me Too movement. Now you got Al, Alvin Bragg coming on Me Too. He wants to he wants to prosecute. Everyone wants to prosecute. All the Democrats want to prosecute him just so that you know, he doesn't run for president. The, 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 That's everybody's it. running. Disgusting. Who's going to be yeah. Attorney General if there's a Democratic? Uh, Well, and you know the thing that on the Alvin Bragg case, this is, he says, okay, a clerical error. Even if you look at all the issues that are in the Alvin Bragg case, the first time you're ever going to go after a former president in American history, put him in a criminal trial, that's what it is, is going to be over the issue that Alvin Bragg is talking about with Stormy Daniels? Are you kidding me? It's a disgrace. Yeah, Andy, I mean, what a mockery. Yeah, I think my my colleague at National Review, uh, Dan McLaughlin, I think tartly describes the case as, you know, Trump basically lied to his checkbook. But like in any normal prosecutor's office, if this was a crime at all, and it would only be brought if it was brought against other people equally, this would be a one transaction misdemeanor falsification of business records. Exactly right. And he carved it into 34 felony counts that this guy could be sentenced to over a century of imprisonment over. I mean, it's astonishing. It is it's astonishing. A it's a shame. It's a shame. And it's obvious to almost everybody that has a fair a, mind, a college. No, not a college education, at least a high school education. It's obvious. I'd say you know an elementary is? school no. student would you know, figure it out. No, you know, no, you know what this is? This is racism against uh, people that do not have an education. Well, and you know what? It, it's every American, John, you know said? every racism American should be concerned. Have, racism against people that don't have an education. Well, and fair-minded people and educated people see it for what it is. It, it is It's shameful. Andy thank, McCarthy, Andy, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank Andy, you. you never give us BS. I, I just want to clear that Let up. Let the record right? be clear. <laughs> <laughs> we love and what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, and the American way. way. And God save the king.